And we'll dismiss our children to Kingdom Kids as well. If you're ages four through nine, that's a time for you. Uh, And a teacher is out there in the foyer taking those kids over to the CE Center. And parents, we invite you, we ask you to please pick them up right after the service uh, is over. We're coming to the end of the year and nearing the end of our 52 questions from the New City Catechism. Naturally, these last few questions focus on eternity, on life after death. The question for today is, what does Christ's resurrection mean for us? Would you read the answer together with me? Christ triumphed over sin and death by being physically resurrected so that all who trust in Him are raised to new life in this world and to everlasting life in the world to come. Just as we will one day be resurrected, so this world will one day be restored. But those who do not trust in Christ will be raised to everlasting death. The consequences of life and death all hinge on faith in Christ, the Savior. He is the one who came at Christmas. Now, the hope of resurrection life for all those who trust in Christ seems like maybe a topic better suited for Easter than Christmas, but it actually fits perfectly into the theme that we're exploring this Advent season, the second Adam from above, how Jesus fulfills Genesis. The second Adam from above is a line from the carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, but it's picking up on a biblical idea that Jesus comes as the fulfillment of all that Adam and the rest of humankind were created to be, like being made in God's image, like having dominion, the things we read about in the first chapter of Genesis. If you, and as you continue into the New Testament, the good news is that Christ himself not only fulfills everything Adam was to be, he brings us into our full humanity through the redemption that he, that Christ accomplishes. And that includes the resurrection of our bodies. So that gives us our theme for today. Celebrate Jesus, who will transform your body into a glorious one like his. It's not Easter, it's Christmas, but I think this is a great message for us today. Celebrate Jesus, who will transform your body into a glorious one like his. And there is a Christmas connection. We're going to see the three parts of our sermon all have to do with the, with the difference Jesus makes in our bodily life now and forever as seen in his incarnation, that's Christmas, crucifixion, and resurrection. So let's start with that first one, incarnation. The eternal Son of God became fully human, having a body like ours. So in in thinking first about our bodily life, our physical existence, we have to go back to Genesis where God created the first human being. And I'm looking at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. If you want to look at that verse, it's, again, very early in the first page or two of of your Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and with that together, the man became a living creature. Now, the verse does not describe 
uh, the way that we are different from uh, animals. In fact, later in this chapter, verse 19, it says that the Lord formed the animals from the ground as well, and, he call, and it calls them living creatures, the same description of that first man. Unlike what we looked at the last couple of weeks, being created in the image of God, having dominion, those things setting us apart from the rest of creation, this verse connects us to the rest of creation. We are made from the ground. We are made like the animals, and we are brought to life by God and that means we are dependent on Him for every breath. Now, you put that all together, and, and that means there's both a, a wonder and a weakness to our physical life. Consider the, the wonder of creation, the wonder of the human body, and a verse that I think many of you know well, Psalm 139, verse 13 for you, God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. A couple of verses later describes it, our bodies as intricately woven. Now, if, if David, writing that psalm, can say that, then it's not only Adam whom God formed. It's Adam. It's David. It's you and me, every one of us. God formed you. God knitted you together, intricately woven, even before birth. My grandmother on my father's side, who before she passed away two years ago, would cross-stitch Christmas ornaments every year for all the, the women in the family, daughters, daughters-in-law, granddaughters, granddaughters-in-law, and so on. Uh, so every year, a different design for dozens of people, each one personalized with intricate stitching and bright colors, of course, to, so that they would go on your Christmas tree. And, and every year now, we pick uh, just some out of the 20 or so that Katie got over the years uh, that she has been in our family, and we put those on our tree. They are beautiful, they are personal, they are treasured. And God took the same personal interest when he made you in crafting you. God made you, God formed you, and you are a treasure. If you're here today and you're struggling to believe that, you look at your body and you're like, I don't know what he was thinking when he made this. I'm not sure I'm very valuable, very precious. Let me tell you, this is, this is where you need to be. We are a community trying to value people as God's handiwork. And, and we believe that that's true because this is what God's word tells us. This is where you, you want to know this God who said, he made you and he treasures you. Now there's even more to discover in Jesus, and, but that's a good place to start. Now the Bible speaks of the wonder of our creation, but it also speaks of our weakness. If you continue to read through the Old Testament, you hear echoes of Genesis 2-7. By echoes, I mean not exact quotations of this verse, but other references to our lives as dust of earth and breath of God. So, for example, just a couple examples, Job 34, 14 and 15. Speaking of God, it says, If he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. Or Psalm 103, 13 and 14, you know these verses. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Dust. 
Isn't that something, that we can see God's care expressed both in the wonder of His forming us and in the weakness of our bodies as He cares for us. He remembers that we are dust. And and we might not realize what a unique perspective that is, both the wonder and the weakness of our human bodies. Now, many religions, from the ancient Greeks to the Buddhists of today, see the body only as a hindrance. Oh, if we could just, if we could just get free from these bodies, then we could really connect to the, to the deep spiritual realities. The spiritual is everything, not the physical, not the material. Uh, even some Christians, we can start to think that way, and it's true that the Bible emphasizes the heart. Um, the importance of, of what we think and feel and believe. Uh, God doesn't just want the outward obedience, just people going through the motions. Yes, but the body is essential to our life as God's creatures. It is essential to our devotion to the God who made us. C.S. Lewis said this, Christianity is almost the only one of the great religions which thoroughly approves of the body, which believes that matter is good, that God himself once took on a human body. That's what the the word incarnation refers to. And we see that, of course, in in the beginning of the opening of, of the Gospel of John. John 1 begins, well, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Later in that chapter, verse 14, it says, And the Word, the Word who was with God, the Word who was God, the Word who made everything, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The eternal Son of God became human. He was knit together in Mary's womb, and when he was born, they called his name Jesus. And from the moment he took his first breath, there was both wonder and weakness in that manger where they laid him. All the wonder, of course, that we see in every little bit, the wonder of little eyes and nose, little, little fingers, little toes, the wonder and the weakness. He needed to be swaddled. He needed to nurse. He needed to be held. He needed to be protected from the night and from the cold. Do you remember that line from O Holy Night? He knows our need to his to our weakness he's no stranger and bethlehem was just the beginning throughout his earthly life jesus showed that he truly dwelt among us his body was not just a matter of oh taking on some sort of physical form so so we could see him so we could sense his presence among us no he entered into our physical frailty he became fully human he became this living dust. And we see Jesus' full humanity when the Gospels tell us things like, well, he was hungry, or he he became tired. And maybe we recognize this uh, less immediately, he was moved emotionally and physically in compassion, in anguish, in grief. When it said he wept, he shed real tears. We talk about uh, being touched 
by something or someone. And we can mean that physically or we can mean that emotionally. Oh, it was very touching. Well, both were true of Jesus. He touched and he was touched. And his touch brought healing and it brought blessing. Just one, just one example, Mark 10, 13 to 16. It says, and they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, He was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a children shall not enter it. And he took them, the children, in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Just picture it. Jesus took these little children in his arms and blessed them. I said just a moment ago that we see God's incredible care seen in His forming us from the dust and in His tenderness, remembering that we are but dust. We see God's care and the wonder and the weakness. But most of all, as Jesus joins us in our humanity, in the wonder and the weakness, we see God's care like never before. But you might say, well, well, if God... God made us with such great care, why did Jesus have to enter a world filled with so much sickness, and so much grief, and so much death. Well, that takes us to part two, crucifixion. Sharing our same flesh and blood, Jesus died as a sacrifice for our sins. Now, before we talk about Jesus' death, we have to explain death itself, and for that, we go back once more, to Genesis. Not long after we read about God forming man from the dust of the ground, placing him in the Garden of Eden, God gives one simple prohibition. One thou shalt not. Just one. All the blessings of this perfect habitat, all of these are yours to enjoy except for this, except one thing. If you do this, you will die. Death as a consequence for sin. Now, in one sense, it wasn't so much about the tree. It wasn't so much about the fruit as it was about whether or not Adam and Eve would trust God. Would they obey God? And when they sinned against God, when they violated his command, here's how God himself described the consequences. Now I'm reading from Genesis 3, verse 19. It says to Adam, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Maybe you've heard this before, but the Hebrew word for the ground or for the earth is Adama, which is where we get the word, the man, Adam, or his name, Adam. Adam will return to, Adam will return to the Adamah. He will return to the ground because you are dust and to, to dust you shall return. Now, we know well enough that Adam is not the only human being who has died. We, we know that well enough. But Romans 5 makes it very clear. The death of every human being since Adam all goes back to Adam's sin. Romans 5, 12. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Uh, This is a a passage, Romans 5, connects uh, Adam to Jesus very explicitly. We'll come back to that passage in a couple of weeks, but for now, just get this. Adam's sin and death is behind your sin, behind your death. The death that is awaiting each 
one of us, the death that perhaps we, you have dealt with in laying to rest someone you love. Now, you might hear people say at times like those, when you come around uh, a casket, people, you might hear people say, well, hey, death's just a part of life. You hear people say that, right? And I, and I think people say that because they think it might help in coming to terms with grief and loss. The idea is death is just the way that it is. It's the way it's always been. It's the way it always will be. So you might as well deal with it. It's, it's natural. But that's not what the Bible teaches. It, it's not what the Bible says. It says death is a thief. Don't you feel that way? Don't you feel violated when death visits your home, your family? If you you feel violated, something has been taken from you. Death is an enemy. It's not how our world once was. It is not what it one day will be. That's what this book teaches. That's what we hold on to. To be sure, death is just a part of the way things are now. Yeah, well, you can't, can't uh, uh, get around that. War and cancer and hurricanes and mass shootings and terrible, terrible accidents. These things happen. Yes, we can say that. These things happen. It's true, but it's not an answer. It's not hope. Hope comes in Jesus. How? Hebrews 2, 14 says, Since therefore the children, meaning just human beings like us, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things, the same flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. So this is saying that Jesus' incarnation, his taking on flesh and blood, sharing our same physical life, was precisely so that he could die. And in dying, he would defeat death itself. Well, how, how's he going to do that? Well, how, how does dying defeat death? De- de- death, if death is such a defeat, if, if death is the enemy and you die, isn't that, isn't that losing? Isn't that being conquered? Isn't that failing? Well, let, let me go to another passage, and you might want to go here with me. Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 10. Hebrews Chapter 10, verses 5 through 10. I've got to get there myself. Hebrews 10, beginning with verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, okay, Christmas, right? When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law, the law of Moses. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, a lot of you are probably saying, I did not follow hardly any of that. Uh, Let let me see if I can help you. So what uh, this passage is quoting 
Psalm 40. If you're looking at the indented part, that is quoting Psalm 40, where David is saying to God, I know you don't want sacrifices for sin, which might seem odd, that line by itself, because, well, wait a minute, didn't God, wasn't God the one who made all the law of Moses, that, that they had to bring sacrifices for sin, animal sacrifices, bringing a lamb, a, a goat, an ox. Uh, God did require them in his law so that sinners would know what sin costs, what is necessary for atonement to be made. But what David is getting at in his psalm, his prayer, is this. God, you don't, you don't demand sacrifices just because you want sacrifices. That's not what you really want. What you really want is my complete devotion. What you want is my obedience, my body, my life that you gave me given back to you. That's what you want. I know that, God. Now then, then the author of Hebrews here is saying, in a sense, Jesus makes David's words his own, putting his own spin on it, which is to say he's going to fulfill Psalm 40, when Christ comes into the world, he says to his heavenly father, you don't want those old sacrifices under that old system. You've given me this body and I am here to do your will, to be the sacrifice that will pay for their sins. That's what God wants. That's why he says in verse 10, the last verse I read, and by that will, we, God's plan, God's desire, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. Once for all. No other sacrifice needed to cover your sin. We have been sanctified. Your status changed from sinner to saint so that when you stand before God one day, you will not be found guilty, but will be justified. You will not be banished from the kingdom, but welcomed into it through the sacrifice of the body the body and blood of Jesus Christ. I wonder if you've come to the place where you know that your life depends on Jesus' death. Your life depends on Jesus' death. Now, you, sure, you're probably not coming to church today with the mistaken notion that God wants you to bring some kind of animal sacrifice to pay for your sins, but you might be tempted to think that he'd be willing to, to accept something else. Maybe you, you come today, God, I'm here uh, I'm really sorry for what, I, what I've done, uh, maybe just even this past week, but, but hey, God, you know, I came to church, didn't I? Uh, that should be worth something. Um, I, I put some money in the offering, and instead of spending it on myself, do, don't I get points for that? Th- those, are, those can be good things, being at church, putting something in the offering, uh, singing songs of praise. Those are good things, but in, in one sense, it's not really what God wants. Does God want you to do that? Yes, He wants you to do all those things, but In one sense, that's not really what God wants. The offering God wants is the only thing that could cover your sin. It's the perfect once-for-all sacrifice of Christ. He took a body so that it could be broken for us. He became blood so that it could be shed for us. He died for your sin so that you don't have to die for your sin. He is the only offering that that, that the, the Father will accept to pay for your sin. And so... We can come again and again to this place week after week and come to him in the quietness of your own home, in in prayer, confessing your sin and saying, God, I know you don't want something from me. I'm, I'm holding on to 
is the finished, once for all, work of Christ. And knowing that, that I'm coming with Jesus means I, I know I can come to you again and again. That's what you want. Me in Christ, and me in Christ as now a living sacrifice. My body, my life, the life that you gave me, now given back to you in Jesus. That's what God wants. That's what God wants. He, Jesus died for your sins so that you don't have to die for your sin. And even better, he rose again so that you can be raised to new life. That's our last part today. Resurrection. When Christ comes in glory, those who are his will be raised to be like him. When Christ comes in glory, those who are his will be raised to be like him. Now, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is where we're going to be for a lot of this last part, and this would be a great uh, passage for you to turn to as well. 1 Corinthians 15, page number for that one is listed there in the order of service. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is summarizing the Christian message, the, the, ba- the, the, the core of what we believe and the good news that we proclaim, the gospel. In the verses 3 and 4, of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance. This is the priority. This is, this is job number one. First importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So on what we call Good Friday, Jesus was dead and buried. We might say, Like Adam, he returned to the ground, but praise God, he did not return to the dust. Because on Easter Sunday morning, he rose again to an undying life in a new and glorified body. Now, apparently, some of the Christians in Corinth that Paul is writing to in this letter, uh, apparently some of them thought that resurrection was not, you know, an essential part of the Christian faith. Like, this is not a this is not one of the, the this is the things maybe we can agree to disagree on. No, he's saying, no, this is it. This is part of the message. This is part of the gospel. Now, perhaps some of them thought that, well, you know, Christianity is, is good for, you know, helping a person to live a, a good life, but they didn't really see it as being uh, critical to the uh, afterlife, some forever kingdom, life with God forever. But listen to what Paul has to say about that. I'm going to pick up in verse 19. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Your religion is not just good for for here and now. Oh, it's it's bigger than that. Keep reading. 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Uh, we're going we're gonna to gloat and triumph over that final victory. As human beings, we all belong to Adam's family tree, his line of descendants, and death was our 
destiny. It is, in, in some respects, for all of us still. But if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are now in Christ. You, you belong to Him, these verses say. His destiny is now your destiny, and it is one of life, living, physical, spiritual life. When does it say the believers will be raised to life? When Jesus comes. When will death be defeated once and for all? When Jesus comes. You think we enjoy celebrating Christmas, the, marking the day when Jesus came the first time? We, we, we've got, we like to food and, and singing and, and decorations and gatherings. Can you imagine the celebration when Jesus comes the second time? Well, that's going to be a party. We are all waiting for that big day, and we can't wait. We can't wait. Now, there's so much more in this chapter about resurrection, but I need to skip ahead. Verse 42. Boy, he's skipping a lot. Well, you can, you can read it this afternoon, but I've got to go to 42. So, so, it, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, now sown like seed, so think of your body. I, I was... I was just at a cemetery this past Tuesday. What is sown in the body? Those, think of those, body, those corpses as seed in the, put in the ground. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Verse 45 points back to Genesis 2-7, which we had read at the beginning of this sermon. And that verse ends, and the man became a living creature, or here, living being. Paul says Jesus both parallels Adam and surpasses him. Or as I've said before, Jesus fits the mold and breaks the mold all at the same time. First, Adam was a living being by the, by the forming and breathing of God. The last Adam, Jesus, is a life-giving spirit. He is not simply one who receives life. He is one who gives it. He's not just alive. He can give you life. And what is this life like? Paul talks about, uh, about it being spiritual. Does that mean that you know, in the, the next life for us, we're just some sort of ghost-like holograms sort of floating around, projected? Do, do we get, is eternity just kind of some sort of virtual reality experience? No, he talks about, verse 44, he talks about spiritual bodies. Now, do, do you see that? That's, that's something like an oxymoron. Like, how can you be a, have a body that's spiritual? If you're spiritual, you've got a body. He's contrasting it there, you can see, with the natural body. So the natural body is what you are now in Adam, like Adam, dust formed from the ground, compared to what you will be in Christ. 
And what you get as a Christian for eternity is a physical reality. It is a body, but it is a spiritual body. It's not what you got uh, by nature, so to speak, by creation, dust breathed into. It is a body made new with the perfect life that only God can give. Uh, Let me go back and give you a little bit more of the quotation that I read earlier from C.S. Lewis. He says, Christianity is almost the only one of the great religions which thoroughly approves of the body. I think he's making a carve out for Judaism, right? Also from the Bible. Christianity is almost the only one of the great religions which thoroughly approves of the body, which believes that matter is good, that God himself once took on a human body, that some kind of body is going to be given to us even in heaven and is going to be an essential part of our happiness, our beauty, and our energy. That physical experience and reality is something we are looking forward to. We, are not, we do not believe in escaping this physical reality to some disembodied state, nor do we believe in, in reincarnation, that if we're good, well, maybe we'll end up in a better body next time, into some higher being, or if we're bad, maybe we'll end up as a rat or a roach. That's not what we believe as Christians. Our hope is not in some kind of tra- techno-transhumanist movement, imagining that someday Maybe we'll be able to upload our consciousness into the cloud so that we can live forever on a server. Wow, that's amazing. No, no, according to the scriptures, we believe in resurrection, new bodies made whole without pain, without death. I don't know what you are dealing with today that, that makes that most appealing. Is it your arthritis? or your Parkinson's, or your MS, or just healing from surgery? Or is it the ache of coming to Christmas without your loved one, an empty seat at the table? I don't know what it is that you're dealing with that makes this sound like such good news, but this is the vision of the forever kingdom. Revelation 21.4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. There shall be, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Oh, we, we long for that day. And here's the thing, either, either C.S. Lewis and I and 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 thousands of years of, of Christian faith. Either, either I'm guilty this morning of passing off the, a bigger hoax than any cryptocurrency fraud, or, or this book, God himself is giving us a hope that nothing else, no one else can offer. You and I, and all those in Christ, not, not floating on a cloud, not uploaded to the cloud, not in some fifth dimension, according to the scriptures, God has promised you and me in Christ unending life in new, undying bodies in a renewed creation. Philippians 3 says it this way, verses 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I wonder if I could take a moment to link that to Philippians 2 in your mind. You don't have to turn there, but you, I think you remember Philippians 2. We, we referred to it in the last couple of weeks about how Jesus, though he was in the form of God, though he had equality with God in every respect, and yet he humbled himself, taking the form, human form, 
form of a servant, humbled himself to death, and therefore God exalted him to the highest place. Now every knee will bow and every tongue confess. The same is in this passage in Philippians 3. Jesus Christ, when he returns, he will transform our lowly body. That was the same word in Philippians 2. He humbled himself. He will take our humble bodies, our lowly bodies, our, all the wonder, yes, but all the weakness. He will take this dust and he will make it like his glorious body from humility to glory, the same path, the same trajectory by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He is Lord, Lord of all. So, even though Christmas is, yes, different than Easter, and yes, incarnation is not the same as crucifixion and resurrection, you understand this morning as we, get to, as we come to Christmas very soon, incarnation connects to resurrection by way of crucifixion. What? You lost me. Which is just the way you get from this life, the body you now have, to the body and the life that you will one day have forever is through Jesus taking a body and laying it down on the cross and taking it up again on Easter Sunday morning in glory. Jesus, second Adam from above, the last Adam, the ultimate and final Adam. This Christmas, celebrate Jesus, who will transform your body into a glorious one like his. Amen. Oh, Lord. It's easy for us, just like many around us in our, in our culture, uh, just a, a sense of Christmas as a, uh, the wonder of a human baby. And there is wonder in that. It's true. It's a wonder that can only be explained by you. But Lord, we're, we're wanting to be captured today by the wonder and the weakness. The Son of God, eternal Son of God, who took on flesh to be with us, and to die for us, for our sins. Oh God, would you give us faith to trust in Christ alone for that, the only sacrifice that, that you want, the only thing that you want. And God, through Christ, the thing that you want, us redeemed, restored, God, would you be pleased to do that, to begin that work among us today? We trust that you have in believers all who belong to Jesus, but Lord, we are still waiting. We're waiting for the final redemption. We're waiting for the final victory when death will be defeated. Lord, if today you are waiting because there's someone else that needs to, to find Jesus, Lord, I pray that that would be happening right now in this room, right now, in churches around this country, around this world, right now, and people that by your providence and your care, you are leading to, whether it's a video on the internet or, or a, a tract that somebody leaves behind uh, in, a, in a restroom, or Lord, some ways that you are connecting people to the message of Jesus, would you 
Would you anchor us in that hope and would you spread, spread the good news far and wide? We're asking you to do this for your namesake, for the glory of King Jesus. We thank you for the life he gives. In Jesus' name, amen.